All right. Welcome, everyone. How are we doing today? We have a fun little episode here. I'll be talking about some of the three exercises I really dislike, but I'll also explain why I dislike them, too. I'm not just going to sit here and complain about them. I want to talk a little bit about why I don't like them. And hopefully all three of these exercises are actually a little bit different in nature. And with that, you can start to understand how and why I might appraise certain types of exercises. But before we get going, as always, if you all are interested in getting jacked and a little bit faster, being explosive on the field and getting some bigger arms and you want to train, well, I have a training team for you. The Always an Athlete team, it's a six-day-a-week team. Easily can be modified down to four days a week. It's a seven-day free trial when you get started on the Train Heroic app. I'm on there. I'm programming it. I'm answering questions for people. It's a pretty dope app. It has videos, exercises, a good community of people willing to help if you have questions. And heck, remember, I'm on there to answer questions too. So um, if you guys want to check it out, give it a try. Please do. Always an athlete online training team. You can find it on the Train Heroic app, their website. Easy peasy, really nice little uh Actually, really nice app. Big fan of it. If you're a coach and you're in the team setting too, really, really awesome app. Super easy to use. Super user friendly. Yeah, I can make programs on my phone. I know a lot of these pro- these uh, um, apps and stuff, and you know whatever athlete management systems, AMSs you might be using, <clears throat> have a you have to you know develop the program itself on the computer. This one here you can do strictly on the app, on the phone, which is so nice. So let's get started here. Three exercises I do not find near and dear to my heart. We'll just go in order. I'll list them one at a time and we'll go through. Numero uno, I do not like the single leg RDL. Yep, you heard it here. I don't like the single leg RDL. I like the hand supported and machine version of a single leg RDL. I don't like a traditional single leg RDL. I find that it is almost like a parlor trick. You can get good at it simply because you're better at balancing. That balancing act that you're performing is not very contextual to sport. It's not like now because you're balancing on uh, whatever, doing a single leg balance, you're now more balanced when you play basketball or baseball, whatever. The movement. Is too difficult because it has so much instability in it that it's near impossible to load. Often you're doing it with one arm. And so now you're even limited in your loading because you can only do it with as much weight as you can hold with one arm. So I don't like the single leg RDL by itself. I really like hand supported single leg RDLs. I like machine supported ones. Um, there are some safety squat bar variations. I guess it's almost more like a skater squat or like a good morning. Those are really useful too. And I've seen people use a, like a Smith machine, single leg RDL, which is pretty clever. It's a good way to still use both hands to load it and you have some stability, but the single leg RDL in whole as a whole, it drives me crazy. doesn't mean You can't use the body weight version if you're just using it for stability purposes. And maybe you want to do a single leg RDL because that person wants to train some balance and there is some aspect of dynamic coordination with it. But the dynamic coordination that you see in a single leg RDL 
and the postural quote unquote instability that someone might have when they do a single leg RDL and they can't do it well. And this, Oh, they're unstable. They don't have the ability to have the neuromuscular control. One of those great words that means a lot of nothing in the context that can be used in makes you sound smart, but doesn't really go very far. Um, the single leg RDL just is not my favorite. It doesn't uh, allow for the overload. It's very unstable. It's difficult to have good reps that actually train the right muscles. If, you, if a rep quality determines the loading of the musculature, then a movement that has high rep quality variability, meaning that the rep to rep variability in the movement is very high. That means we are loading tissues differently every time, which can be a good thing if we're doing that for the purpose. But I would argue in a single leg RDL, you're probably running more risk to reward on that. On top of that, you're not using that movement for variability of loading. You're probably using that movement for single leg hinge pattern. On the other hand, you could say, hey, Max, you also like plyometrics. And plyometrics have a high variability rep to rep. And that's true. And I do like that. I think it's important in a context that's related to how sport is played and the feedback mechanisms of how we learn to control ourselves in a true dynamic setting has some benefits to that dynamic postural control that we see in sport. When you jump and run, you're working the motor program similar to that in sport. So while we have high movement variability when we jump and run, that's important because that learning pattern of that movement when we jump and run and sprint, change of direction, is much closer to the movement pattern we see in sport so ideally, when we learn and expose ourselves there, we can translate that learning. Like you're learning bits of a language when you do your plyometrics. And those that language you're learning is similar to the language of sport. However, the RDL that you're doing probably isn't of the same language. And what I mean by that, too, is if you're like, look, RDL is going to help us understand postural control during dynamic movements. Then you should be able to look at a dynamic movement and say, hmm. I bet they can't do an RDL very well. Is that ever the case though? Can we look at like a, a sprint or a plyometric and be like, mm, I bet you they're bad at single leg RDLs. What's the number one thing you see with a single leg RDL? People get a heck of a lot better during the session, let alone day to day. So does that tell you that it's something that is a exposure they've been in or the, a, a stimulus they've been exposed to? Probably not. And so just getting better at it means they're just getting better at that stimulus, but it's not a stimulus that's necessarily familiar in the same way that, you know, someone does a change of direction movement and they've been playing sport. Well, their change of direction and training probably looks similar to that of the change of direction in sport because it's the same thing. So I'm not a big single leg RDL guy, <clears throat> not a big fan. I do like hand supported. I do like it for balance purposes, but all in all, I call the single leg RDL the verdict would be overrated. Dun, 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 dun. All right. Number two, I take my deep breath before I dive back into the deep water here of controversial exercises. I don't like snap downs. You know, the snap down exercises you see people do where they snap their arms down <clears throat> and they uh, stick a bottom position. And they say, oh, well, we're training the loading, I guess, of a jump. There's a couple of reasons why I don't like it. One, Typically, the position they pause at at the bottom 
is not actually the position that you're going to even jump from. Heels are often way too loaded, not enough load on the forefoot. Um, and you're also teaching rapid co-contraction around the ankle, knee, and hip in an extreme stopping, breaking position that doesn't involve the upward acceleration and rebound after. And what's really important about teaching jumping mechanics is the fact that you need to teach the ability to transition from eccentric, that loading, to concentric. And that is augmented or facilitated by the stretch reflex and stored elastic energy and how the muscles time each other up. And when you snap down and stop, you're teaching all those muscles to not work together to produce an upward force afterwards. So it's not really that beneficial, in my opinion, to jumping. I understand the concept of it, though. And I think it can be modified very easily. The concept of it, at least from my understanding, is twofold. One is that deceleration loading, which I don't think is nearly enough load to equate to some sort of eccentric overload. The fact that the kid was just jumping a second ago, and now you're going to have them do three snap downs because that's eccentric overload. doesn't really make much sense to me. But if you're teaching arm positioning, and I think that is a secondary option people try and use it for, because a lot of times with kids, their arm timing gets messed up. I understand the thought process. So I can respect that. You're trying to teach them that when they jump ankle, knee and hip, their arm has to come with them. Cause a lot of times you see kids when they squat down to jump, they'll squat down to that bottom position and then they get their arms going and they're actually behind it. And they're slowing themselves down because their arm action is lagging. So you're doing a snap down because you're trying to get that arm, those arms in the right spot at the right time. However, a simple modification to it would be to bounce out of it. Because the snap down, sure, you're exaggerating the speed at which you're loading. And I actually kind of get that. Cool. I don't like the sticking portion. That's the part that throws me off because I think a lot of people get in positions that if you say jump out of it, they then push their center of mass forward onto their forefoot. And you see them kind of roll out of that position because that's not truly the position they jump from. So instead, have them quickly rebound out of it. They don't need to jump as high as they can. But when you work on that rebound out of that loading, like I go down, I snap down, but instead of stopping, I just whoo, come back up. You can work on that arm timing, working in synchrony with the ankle, knee, and hip. Because what you've done here is you've emphasized the eccentric loading and you've reduced the concentric speed and the effort, but you did not take away the concentric speed and effort. So you kept the exercise motor program as a whole. It is not broken apart because by just doing a snap down, a snap down becomes in of itself its own motor task. You have not slid the scales of I'm trying to be more intense or less intense. You have removed one of the scales, which is the concentric portion as a whole. And so what you see there, uh, you see uh, sometimes it kind of screwing with some motor patterns. Um, I get the idea of it. I understand why people use it. I'm not a big fan of it, but I think it can be modified to be very useful. Again, like the single leg RDL. Lastly, number three is a lot of soleus work I see. People aren't going to like this. I'm sorry. I see a lot of people doing, you know, these like lunge position calf raises. If your soleus is responsible for handling nine times your body weight upon ground contact, how is sticking it out in front of you 
in a lunge position, doing a slight calf raise, going to be enough load because you're not even necessarily lifting your body. You're just kind of lifting your knee and your position stays because your center of mass is behind you. Going to be a lo- enough load to train your soleus. I get it from a mobility standpoint, people doing it for a range of motion thing right on. Talk about purely from a loading standpoint. Your soleus is super strong. Like I did an isometric test and easily in an isometric setting can produce above one times your body weight max force pretty easily. One so uh, your, your soleus. So that's one of them. Two of them, two times. Isometrically. That's with no additional efforts. Like if you're in a lunge position, you're being offloaded because your quads are holding, you're not lifting your whole body. But the whole moral of that story is when we sprint even, we're dealing with these huge, huge forces, like nine times body weight and eight times body weight. So my, my, my take is let's actually load the soleus. Let's put it in positions to load. I think what happens if you think about the structure of a soleus, it's a very small muscle in terms of length. It's wide, I believe. It's not very long. It has a very small optimal range of motion. The range of motion through which it's strongest, if you think about the strength to length curve, it is a narrow realm. So when people do like a, a soleus, they feel a big contraction in the back of that little lunge position soleus calf raise where they're in the split squat and they do a go up on their toes. They feel a really tight stretch in their soleus, a huge contraction at the top. My same example for that to rebuttal it is that's the same feeling you get when you take your bicep, you bring it all up in the fully flexed position, and then you flex a little bit more and you get this huge, tight contraction. It's almost a cramping feeling. And you do that and you're going to be dumb sore. You will be sore. Now, is that actually because you're producing tension on the muscle or is it because it's a neurological phenomenon where you are in a hugely contract position and you're forcing to contract more and it causes some sort of cramping like mechanism? Not necessarily due because of high loading, because of the length strength relationship. In the same way in the soleus, getting really high up on your toe and you feel it really working in the back, you got to think to yourself, am I just in a massively shortened position? Because remember, when you bend your knee, you are also in a more soleus dominant position versus when you're running, jumping, and sprinting, your knee is never bent to 90 degrees in that split lunge position. So are you challenging it through a range of motion that's just very extreme on the short end, which causes that sensation of contraction, but not actually yielding benefits to strength development because remember you can do lots of things like if i just sit here and squeeze my abs really hard or you squeeze your butt cheeks they start to cramp whatever you can do you know any sort of these exercises extreme end range of motion stuff and you get a huge contraction that doesn't necessarily mean that the loading is high so i'm not against soleus work i just think some of that work is not actually loading the soleus the way you think it is i think it's making you feel like you're loading your soleus, which is very different than actually loading your soleus. In the same way, if I just sit here, take my bicep into full flexion, full flexion, then I give it a big squeeze and I feel it really contract. It kind of hurts. That's the same thing, in my opinion, that's happening with your soleus in that lunge position. So there's not enough load, in my opinion. You're just kind of manipulating how things feel versus you really want to load that mid-range because the strength to length relationship is through a smaller range of motion an excessive amount of trying to get into plantar flexion um, based on what I've read and what I've seen architecturally from the soleus 
doesn't make a ton of sense because in that extreme plantar flexion is rarely when you're producing a lot of force. The soleus is going to work through that mid range of motion because it's acting to stabilize the ankle and it might act to plantar flex it. But again, plantar flexion in sport, by the time we pushed off and our last toe is pushing off, we're not producing oodles and oodles of force. It actually drops off quite a bit. So when it's dealing with the most force, it's not dealing in that extreme plantar flex position. So those are the three exercises that I kind of have some beef with. There might be some more out there. Um, there actually are some more out there, but I'll save those for later. I also have three exercises I really like, but I'll do that in another segment, and I'll break down why I like those exercises a ton. Again, I'll try and give you the same kind of breakdown of what people might do to make them maybe a little bit worse that I'm not a big fan of, but maybe some modifications um, within those my favorite exercises that maybe you can use for yourself as well. So I hope you guys enjoy these episodes. As always, I appreciate you listening. Um, again, feel free to share if you guys have comments, questions, inquiries, whatever it might be. I want to say thanks to everyone again. Keep these to the point, short and sweet. As always, I appreciate you. Take care. <laughs>